Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Boom. We're live. Josh McCain, welcome to the Black Diamond Podcast, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, you're doing really cool stuff. And it's definitely worth getting this out to the audience and, and making people aware of what you do and the challenges you face in, in the work at Big Sky Bravery. Thank you for making the time. I know you're a really busy guy. Let's start with this. Josh, give us your backstory, man. How did you, how'd you get to where you are in, in founding Big Sky Bravery? I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no busier than the rest. So Big Sky Bravery, is, it's a crazy long story, so I'll, I'll try to keep it exact. But I was working in New York City in, in 2015. Grew up in Montana, but moved out to New York for work. And my brother-in-law was coming back from his 14th deployment at that. And I could just see on his face just how burned out the guy was. And 14 straight deployments all in special operations is unfathomable for me to even comprehend. And at that time I had no other personal things to base it off of obviously in him. And I, I wanted to do something to help. And I asked him what his current unit was doing to help. And he literally said they were going to take him to an NBA game in a few months. And uh, I just couldn't believe that. He said there was also counselor or not counselors, um, chaplains inside their unit that have faith-based retreats that no one really goes to. And they have counselors, but the, the really screwed up thing here is that nobody really wanted to talk to the counselors just for the simple fear of getting kicked off the team. And but it just sounded like there was a need. Okay. And after doing my research, I found there was over 45,000 nonprofits in America at the time dedicated just to veterans. And I will ask him, I was like, what are, what are these people doing? It's like, they're all for veterans, plain and simple. And I guess you can say, Eric, I had an epiphany at that point to do something for those who are still going overseas, those who never left, who carry out our nation's most covert and sensitive missions, like my brother-in-law. And after I told him what I wanted to do and, and come up with a program for active duty special ops only, he told me if I could pull this off, it would change the tide for the soft community indefinitely. And that was pretty much all I needed. My wife and I quit our jobs, set up shop here in Bozeman in 2015. And uh, yeah, it's been nuts the last six years. We've had over 200 operators come through our program and seen some pretty significant results in um, helping them out. And I, it all started just with an idea and now it's reality and it's a crazy thing to be a part of. That's the best way to say it. Yeah. It's interesting. It, there's a lot of things that fascinate me. One of the, listening to your story and you mentioned that they were, you're going to take these guys to an NBA game. Yeah. Why, why is that off the mark? I, if a lot of, we're in a politically correct climate, right? There's a lot of people who feel that way. I don't 
believe in those values because I think it it hinders creativity and honesty. If if these guys in not guys, if these people were doing their job accurately, I wouldn't have a job. Yeah, that's just the the way that I knew I know how to say it. I think they they do an amazing job of getting these individuals ready for war. Obviously, our nation has the greatest war fighters in the world, but I think that they miss the mark on sometimes forgetting that these individuals are human. And the things that they go through and the things that they see overseas, I've had grown men in their 30s and 40s, physically superior, covered in tattoos, long hair, beards, and the whole the works package for what is a typical soft operator crying on my shoulders during our programs. And they're missing the mark because these people are human beings. And yes, they volunteered to do these things. And yes, it's the most selfless thing that I think an American can do. But our nation has been at war since September 11, 2001. It's the longest active war in American history. And we've literally had guys out here for Big Sky Bravery that were involved in the invasion or in the first assault force into Afghanistan. And now they're still deploying to other areas of the global war on terror 20 years later. And I think that's where we're missing the mark here. It's, you can only sustain the types of horrors that come with this job for so long before there's a breaking point. And We've seen that breaking point with a lot of these operators over the last six years, and it breaks my heart for them. But our job is to intervene and, and try and find hope and peace and restoration for them before they get out being a proactive resource rather than reactive, because there's already over 60,000 reactive organizations in America dedicated to veterans. There was 45,000 when I started Big Sky Bravery six years ago, and now there's reported over 60,000 veteran nonprofits. And I'm not knocking the work that those people are doing at all. I think it's amazing. It's selfless and there's a need for it, obviously. But I think it's time as Americans, we start being way more proactive and reactive towards these elements, especially in special operations. As we, it always occurs to me, as we talk about a thing, we should probably define a thing, but what, like when, what is, what encompasses special operations for the general audience? Yeah, this is coming from a civilian. So this is just yep. my broad understanding of who we work with. The people that we work with are the most highly trained mentally, physically, professionally in, in the United States Armed Forces. And uh, they carry out the most covert and insensitive missions our nation has, like I said earlier. Special Operations is a volunteer organization that people want to be a part of something that's almost impossible to make. And some of the units that we work with have, I think it's less than two or 3% acceptance rate for their selection process. And the average person that we're bringing out is in their mid thirties. They've probably done anywhere from 10 to 13 deployments at that time. They've been a part of special operations for a long time. And then there's other organizations that they can get to that they try out for. And that's pretty much who we work with. And it's just a fine tune machine. The guys we work with are you got, you got surgeons, right? You got scalpels and hammers. Yeah. We deal with the scalpels, the ones who are the highest trained, obviously just, I mean, the, the men and women we work with are super intelligent, very selfless, value humility as a character component, higher than any other aspect of their life. And it's just a group of individuals that give way more than they take from any aspect of their life. Yeah. It's, I have really good friends, two Navy SEALs and one army green beret. And they're a little, they're definitely cut from a different cloth. Although when you sit down and have a beer with them, it's like, just, they're just guys. And I'm not, 
I know there's, I don't know how many women are in special operations. I just never met one. How do you think they, the, if you look at maybe the general armed forces versus special operators, how do you think when they come back to civilian life, how are those two circumstances different? What's unique about how the special operators are um, adapting or I guess coping, right? With what they have experienced mm-hmm. versus maybe the, the general armed forces. I think the best way to sum up that is an operator once we really focus on civilian relationships because they're non-existent. 18% of our operators before the task force had uh, a meaningful relationship with civilians and a positive outlook on civilians. The 18%. By the time they left that number, that number more than doubled to 86%. And I think that's the biggest thing that's missing. An operator once told me, he was like, this civilian question that you're asking us during the task force, he goes, it really hit home with me. I said, well, and he goes, I don't have any civilian friends. And I said, why is that? And he said, it's really hard to start a relationship when it's based off of a lie. And what he meant by that was he can't tell anyone what he does for work. It's highly sensitive. And that that really hit home with me. And that's why in Big Sky Bravery, 94%, I believe, is the number of our volunteers are all civilians. Because that's a huge piece in their life that's missing. And I think with the conventional versus special operations, like special operations makes up just two little less than 2% of the armed forces, which is a pretty insane number when you think about it. And then the conventional side of it, They don't fall under the same security stuff. They don't fall under the same sensitivity stuff. And so I think that when you get into this cliche term black ops world, you sacrifice a lot of things in your life. And truth is one of those things that they they just don't have access to outside of their community. They're literally their best friends and their their family or their team. And that's the only resource that they currently have where they can talk openly and free without jeopardizing national security. And I think that's a huge, huge issue that we're facing right now, especially for those who have been in for 20, 25 years and have never come through a program like this. I can only imagine how how daunting it is to get out and how horrific it seems to leave the only thing that you've been comfortable with for 20, 25 years and then this another world just opens up in front of you and you have no relationships with civilians and all these different things that come with that. It's, I've talked to these people countless times and it's really challenging with a lot of the issues that they face compared to other organi- or other you know conventional forces. It's definitely relevant. Yeah, I would imagine not having a lot of experience in this area, but I would just imagine that as me being a civilian my whole life, that the problems I face must seem rather frivolous at times to a special operator coming back <laughs> from uh, you know, multiple, like, uh, God, we're building a home. And my biggest concern is which wood stove to buy right now. That's not something that would really be on the radar if I was doing black ops. Is that, is that a real thing? Or is that just something that I would assume to be real? I think it's, it's two, I mean, both. One thing when, that we really focus on when these people come out, Eric, is trying to find some type of relevancy between our life and theirs. Yeah. And I think the way to do that is <clears throat> I'm very transparent person. Anyone who knows me well knows that. I've had really tough things that have happened in my life with my marriage, with my finances, with my career. And I think that a lot of the guys that I've been paired with over the last six years that are operators, the way that I've been able to help is is to tell them my own struggles that I'm going through. And there's a lot of similarities with that. We focus on the individual, not the job. And as, as 
weird as that sounds, that's how we're successful at Big Sky Bravery. We never ask them questions about their job or the missions that they do or their the gear or any of that stuff. We ask them questions about them, their value of self-worth. And when they find that we're dealing with marriage issues, we're dealing with finance stuff, we're dealing with what it takes to make a man come alive. And a lot of the, there's a lot of similar characteristics that we share with them. And I think that helps them a lot to know that the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. It's fucked all around. And as long as, as soon as you can come to peace with that and then find somebody who wants to hold your hand in that process and share this journey called life with you, it's a little bit more comforting um, rather than just think, assuming never works. It's when you actually hear stories from people that do something different than you and you can find some commonalities with that. It, it, it's, we've seen a lot of significant you know, relationships come from that, those types of conversations. So let's dive in. What, what is it that you guys do at Big Bravery, Josh? What is, what is the service you provide? What is the mission? Yeah, give it, dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so we focus our, all of our efforts on three core principles at Big Sky Bravery. So number one is for active duty special operations, right? The, everybody that comes out for Big Sky Bravery, we have no application process for them. They're all hand selected internally by their leadership teams based off of who needs it the most. So we know that when anyone gets off the plane, uh, there's a story behind why they're here and it's up to us to figure out what that story is and if you know we can play a, a, a role and help. So the three things that we focus on, number one is the value of extremely high adrenaline-based recreational activities as a way to decompress. So think of it as skiing a double black diamond. You've done that. I've done that. It's We call that the freedom of thought component where we're getting these operators into an environment where they only can think about the task at hand and nothing else. And the benefits from that are far superior than any type of alcohol or meditation or any other thing that we've seen that we've conducted surveys on. It's getting these individuals outdoors, putting them in extremely high risk environments from a recreational component, teaching them how to get through that. And the benefits that come from that are are very significant. The second is solidifying the trust between civilians and members from the most elite special operations units that our nation has. Like I said, that statistic earlier, their outlook on civilians before and after they leave is completely different. And that's something that our nation needs to be aware of. And we need to invest civilian relationships into these communities or else when they get out, it's almost too late. And the third is their value of self-worth. So focusing on the individual, you know, rather than the job. And looking at life was what was what life was like for them before the service. What does it look like after? I guess more specifically, like what brings them joy and, and peace and restoration in their own lives and how we can help facilitate those types of impact areas. That's the three things that we focus on. It's all civilian run. Like I said, 94% of our volunteers are civilians. They, these operators are paired with one person for the entire week. At the end of every day, we have a question of the day, really awkward questions that we, we ask them to help facilitate meaningful conversations. And none of us are counselors. There's not a single volunteer that has a health, mental health background. Some could knock us and say that's irresponsible. I would say read our survey uh, results and facts over feelings. And we just, we have a great volunteer um, base at Big Sky Bravery. That is the driving force for change for these individuals. So those are the three things that we focus on heavily to, to try and make sure our programs are successful. 
Awesome. And geographically, are you guys located just in Bozeman or are you spreading out? Where are you guys located? It's all, we're, we're going to run 16 week-long programs. We call our programs task forces in 2021 and 15 out of the 16 will be in the Bozeman Big Sky area. And then one is in Alaska. We have a company that we've been working with for the last four years called Siba Heli. They're one of their owners, Ben is one of our volunteers. And he actually foots the bill for three operators every March to come out and heli ski in Haines, Alaska. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's pretty sweet. The pictures and videos we've gotten from that are, yeah, it's nuts up there. We really appreciate Ben and all the hard work he does, both on his volunteer and as a company, but 15 out of our 16 are here in Big Sky, Bozeman, Montana. Gotcha. If if somebody wants to volunteer on the civilian side for one of these week long task force, what what can they expect? What what's the criteria? What is it is it a full encompassing week? Is it a couple hours a day? What does that look like? Yeah, so the volunteers, the guys fly in on Sunday and they leave on Friday. The volunteers and the recipients stay under the same roof all week. Volunteers aren't allowed to leave. We give them about 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night to, to talk with their families and handle any type of work stuff that they have. But their entire mission that week is to be around whoever they're paired with 24-7. And if your guys are staying up late at night, then you need to stay up late with them. If he wakes up early, you need to get your ass up and wake up early with them and make sure that every single second is accounted for, whether that's talking or not. Sometimes silence is, is the best thing that we have, but you know, all of our volunteers are, they're super dedicated. They're involved 24 seven during their week-long task force. And by the time that the, the TF's over, the average volunteer compared on our surveys, it takes them about two weeks to fully comprehend and feel normal again after leaving because that's how deep we get into it with these guys and conversation based and relationship focus. Yeah, it's a pretty arduous process, both mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Physically as well. And you guys are a, a full on nonprofit, right? Yep. 501c3 as of uh, 2015. And how, how are you guys getting, is it primarily, are you getting a, some donors? Are you guys raising funds? How are you guys, how are you guys yeah, carrying this on? Yeah, so we haven't taken a dollar from government money, any, any DOD funding. That's just something I've stood firm on from the start. All of our money is 30 to 35% of our annual budgets raised through two different fundraisers. One's called a tribute dinner, which is like a live and silent auction dinner where we highlight somebody who's come through our program. And then we had a golf tournament that I don't know if we're going to be doing um, in the future or not. I think we're, we're going to do something up in Big Sky from here on out. But uh, so yeah, about 35% of our funding comes from events and the other, you know, 70 to 65%, it all comes from private donors. We haven't had a lot of family foundation money because we're only six years into existence. One thing we really try to stay away from, Eric, is the WIFM factor for donors, what the what's in it for me. And a lot of people think that's an arrogant approach, but I don't think it is because when you're dealing with something as evil as money, you have to be extremely precise and exact of what the expectations are. When I first started Big Sky Bravery, I, I would get a check from somebody and immediately take the check and just be super excited that someone's investing in the organization. But that came with a lot of heartache and, and a lot of shit. Money is, is one of the most intimate things that an individual has. And it's also, I believe, the root of all evil for, and for certain people, not for everybody. And when you ask somebody to, to give money to a nonprofit, 
it's it's not like a, a mutual fund. It's not a penny stock or investing into a company or VC or any of that. It's the only ROI that you're getting is an emotional is an emotional component. It's there's nothing more than that. You everyone knows that. So you're giving your hard-earned money to an organization with the expectation belief that it's going to a great cause and that they're going to do the right thing with it. So the way that I really try to steer conversations when someone wants to make an investment into the organization is I'll actually slide the check back right back to them. And I'll just say, I really appreciate what you're trying to do here, but I need to be upfront with you. So what do you want in return from this money? What are your expectations? And sometimes people are like, what an asshole. But then we'll talk about it and they'll understand. Or other times people will say, I can't believe that you just asked me that. No one has ever asked me that. And I've been giving to organizations for X amount of years. Here's what my expectations are. I want my son to volunteer, right? So then I'm glad we got that one out of the way because I didn't take X amount of money. And then now I've got some son that is a volunteer who doesn't really fit what we're looking for. Or, you know, we want to be featured on, on your website. We don't do that. We want, we, I have a, a, my company wants to, our owner wants his son to intern or whatever it could be. There's so many different reasons. And if I didn't have those conversations with these people beforehand, it sets both of us up for failure, especially from the communication level. What do you want from this donation? I just, I'd appreciate it, Josh, if you could call me once a quarter and update me on where my money's going or the challenges that you're facing. Like, absolutely. I can do that. Like managing expectations when you're taking people's money, I think is a crucial role that any type of executive director or CEO or president or whatever from a nonprofit should, should be aware of because the, there's nothing as intimate as money for a lot of people. And the, there's always something that comes with it. There's never not. And you just have to make sure that you're aware of what does come with it before you accept it rather than staying in the dark and then having things pop up later that makes you and, your organization. If you can mitigate risk with those types of investments, it's, I think it's one of the most sound things that any leader in a nonprofit can do. Yeah. That sentence that you had, you probably could have just stopped the sentence after the key is managing expectations, period. Right. I think that's like life, business, relationships all in one key point. One of the things that I wanted to circle back on because you and I were chatting about it before, before we started recording is 2020, obviously, and where we find ourselves now, let's see what today's recording date is, January 26th of 2021. Yeah, political environment's pretty messed up. People are pretty div divisive. We're in the middle of a pandemic, all that, right? I don't, we don't need to go over everything that's happened in the last year, but it's been a, it's, it's had its fair share of challenges. And you had alluded to maybe some feelings or some overall sentiments that maybe the people you work with are feeling about this. Like uh, you mentioned words like forgotten or the public's distracted by the wrong things. Like what, give us some insights into maybe some stuff that can help us as the general population just be a little bit more aware. Yeah. Last year was a shit show. And Fair. that's a 2020. The one thing that I think that our country forgets is there's so many people who think that they have it so bad when you really don't. Our nation was founded on, on a belief that uh, anything is possible. 
for anyone who wants to go out there and get it. And freedom of speech is a key component. And just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's factual. And, and it also doesn't mean that you're wrong. And let's just look at it from the left versus the right, because that's the climate that we live in. The one thing that there's commonalities in all of that is no matter what's going on in the news or whatever's taking the spotlight currently in whatever sells the most commercials, is the people that we give back to are still deploying. And it doesn't matter if Trump's president or Biden's president or whatever, they still do the exact same job and they still answer to politicians. They still continue to bring the fight to anyone who wants to do America harm. And I think, I don't think I know after all the conversations I've had the last six years, yeah, these individuals feel forgotten. Uh, One told us that it was refreshing just to be with civilians because he didn't even think they cared anymore. Because this war, you ask, if you go to, you get a hundred people in a room and you do a random survey and you say, how many people think that we're still at war? I guarantee probably 10 people would raise their hand. Even though this is the longest active war in American history and the same people are still fighting it. Yeah, they feel forgotten. And when people focus more on themselves in this country, and I think social media is a huge thing to blame for that. In turn, they're really jeopardizing those who keep us safe because these men and women that we get back to, they don't seek recognition or fame for what they do at all. They do it because it's a necessary form to fight evil. And it comes at a price for them and their families. And sometimes that that price is, you know, either taking your own life or having someone else take it overseas. And I think that our nation needs to be way more aware of some of the major pressing issues that are facing the ones who keep us safe rather than how many likes you're getting on Instagram or what your feelings are on social media compared to what the actual facts of the the present information is. Yeah, these guys and gals feel forgotten and it's at a mass scale. And if we don't do something like Big Sky Bravery and other organizations don't start tending towards this specific community, we're going to see some major implications in the future. Yeah, it's just been my, to summarize some thoughts on where society has tended to lean in the last year, my friend Andy had this statement that kind of said, your capacity to be offended is not the basis of an argument. And we've come to this point in Western society where I feel like really we don't have a lot of real problems. Yeah, there's people who are listening maybe who are currently in or people who are struggling financially due to the pandemic and and all those repercussions. But you compare that to 50 years ago or 100 years ago, and really our problems are almost made up. And it's just amazing to me. And now we forget sometimes who we are as a country, who we are, that we are one, we are one country. And there's like sometimes anti-American sentiments within our own country. And I'm, I am extremely grateful that my wife is spent half of her life, first half of her life in Brazil. And she made a very conscious choice when she visited here. She's like, I want to be United States. It's still, she came here because she believes it's the greatest country in the world. She stayed because she believes it's the best country in the world to this day. And I feel like people are lacking a little bit of, they, they need to see what, what life is, out, is like outside of the United States. 
And there's a, the word I'm searching for is eluding me right now, but there's a lot to that where we're just so entrapped in, in our own little worlds nowadays. It's the people like the special operators or just armed forces in general don't always come back to a warm welcome. Am I wrong in that? No, you're completely accurate. I could go on about this for hours. It's people really have to be careful what they say from in this culture that we live in. And I can't agree with you more. Just this story about your wife in general, that really just fires me up to be like, I always tell everybody and I'm going to tell my daughter the same thing. And somebody asked me this question the other day. It's like, what piece of advice would you give your daughter if you give her one piece of advice from here on out? And I said that I hope she, she understands that she needs to be the type of American worth fighting for. And I wish everyone felt that same way. And it's not that I feel like I'm right or I'm wrong. I know I'm right on this one because the, if you look at what the core principles and values are of what makes America great and the people who live here, it is not this social media culture, this fake atmosphere where you base yourself off of somebody else. It's what you're able to contribute back to society to make this a better place. Uh, starting a job, investing your money, helping other organizations thrive. It, I, I just, I hate the culture that we live in now. And I hate that everyone just feels that they want to be handed greatness instead of working for it. And the fact that our nation is, the fact that our nation's war fighters, like the people we get back to, over 90% feel forgotten on a recent survey. Wow. Is a true crime to the work that they're doing overseas and in, in as, in, as far as Americans being aware of that. I can't let's think about that. How hard would that be to deploy constantly like these individuals are doing when nine, over 90% feel like a, the, the general public doesn't even care? Do you think, Josh, that the uh, part of that is that the public doesn't know, right? Like you, you had mentioned earlier in the show that one of these the, the tough things about coming back from these deployments is that they can't talk about what they do. And I would imagine that contributes to, they can't talk about it. So when no one knows any about it and everyone just makes assumptions that they're doing, I think if you follow mainstream media, you're just going to make assumptions that we're, we're doing frivolous things that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have our hands in those cookie jars. That's got to be play part of this. It's a complex issue. It's not just black and white. Yeah, I, I think that's relevant for sure. If you turn on the news, let's say the most significant thing that's happened in the last maybe 13, 14 months is an American Special Operations Unit took out al-Baghdadi. That made the news for a couple of days and then it was gone. But I think the thing that people don't want to talk about is that it wasn't just one mission. It was 20 years of the global war against terror that's still going on. I know that an organization just a couple months ago went and rescued a whole bunch of hostages in Africa that made the news. And that was on the news for about 24 hours. But Americans, we don't know what we don't know. But I think that if anyone's listening to this podcast, if they got something out of it, it would be just being aware of the all the issues facing our nation right now, not just ones that you, you click on for social media. Do your own research and look out there of what's going on in our country. Instead of just having information fed you, be proactive in search. I, I do see what you're saying with that 100%, but yeah, no one wants to talk about these types of things until a mass attack happens again. And we haven't had one in a long time. Knock on wood, it's because <laughs> the individuals that we bring in on Big Sky Bravery are 
you're going after these individuals at night so we can sleep peacefully in our beds. It's just, it's the necessary fight against evil. Yeah. Oh man, Josh, we're butting up on time and I want to make sure that we, uh, we talk about how people get in touch with you, but a rather somber conversation, but very necessary. And I think it's something that people need to just think about, like just set some time and kind of be aware of what you're doing. And it, it goes a long way. I, I, so many of our society's ills are due to the media that we have access to. And the fact that very few of us go past the mainstream feed on our phones or what we hear in CNN and actually do a couple searches, talk to a couple people. And I hope if anything, this urges people to go, you know, learn more about what you do, ask people who are military active or retired about their experiences. One of the coolest things I ever did for myself was before my, my uncle passed, cause he was in world war II. Is, you know, I asked him, tell me about some of your experiences and what it feel like. And of course that was different times, right? The enemy was clear and now it's a little bit more vague for the public. So yeah, I just urge people to, to do a little bit of research, ask an extra question. Don't be afraid if people don't agree with you. And you know, that's a good thing. And yeah, hopefully we can find some help for you too. So that being said, Josh, where, where do people find you? Where do you send them online? Give us all the goods. Yes, you can search us uh, bigskybravery.org.org. And there's a lot of information on our website. And if you don't have the means to, to donate to our cause, scroll to the bottom of that page and find our address and write a letter, an anonymous letter to a, a soldier that's going to come through, or anybody in special operations for that fact. If you want to write into their families, that's fine too. But write a letter, send it to our address, and we'll make sure that these individuals get it because I think that could go a long way with uh, their mental health and just their true sense of appreciation from the American public. Awesome. Josh, thank you for, for coming on. Obviously, thank you for the work you do. It's well needed and I'm glad you're doing it. A lot of appreciation, man. Thanks for highlighting it, Eric. You know, I, I really enjoyed our conversation today and best of luck to you as well, my man. Right on. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh McCain. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So, if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, make an introduction. Whatever it may be, you can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show, and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast, and you can expect a lot more from us.